Hello, Donks. It's, uh, my watch is all jacked up. It is Wednesday, August 9th, 2017, and this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMAFighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I am the host of this podcast. You probably know my name, but if not, my name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I very much appreciate it. Uh, today on the podcast, we go for roughly 90 minutes, usually a little bit less. Um, Paulie Malignaggi and his fallout with Conor McGregor as his sparring partner or whatever he was supposed to be in the end. Um, there are some updates into the Mayweather-McGregor stuff. There's a ton of like small bits of uh, MMA news. We'll get to any of that. Best place to get your questions in, two ways. Number one, wherever this window is embedded on MMAfighting.com in the comments section there. Comments, as you know, get that turn green, get priority, but not exclusivity. And then uh, on Twitter, I am at L Thomas News. And uh, if you put a question up there using the hashtag chat rappers, I will probably get to it with about 15 minutes left in the chat. Um, one bit of housekeeping on this, or actually two pieces of housekeeping. Number one, a lot of you guys have been asking about the next batch of t-shirts. Let's wait till Mayweather McGregor is over and I'm going on vacation at the end of September. I'll be gone for uh, a couple of weeks. Um, back to Columbia. So I'm going to go to the beach there and I'll be gone for a couple of weeks after that is over. So let's say October, November ish, we'll do another batch of t-shirts. Uh, and of course it will go to the animal shelter. In fact, um, if you recall, your money was split two ways. One went to the Fundacion, uh, the, uh, grandpa's Columbia, which is a sort of a shelter in Columbia. And another one went to my local shelter where I got Barbus. The Humane Rescue Alliance. I am not making this up. You can Google them right now. They got flooded over last weekend and are in desperate need of donations. So if you have it in your heart to give even $5 to help them out, um, they could really, really use it. And so could the animals. It's a bit of a decrepit building. Uh, it's obviously better than leaving them on the street, the animals, but it has heating issues in the winter. It has cooling issues in the summer, and they just got flooded. They could really use your help. So if you want to send them a, a little bit of cash, just even a dollar, five dollars, something, um, the Humane Rescue Alliance here in D.C. could really use some help. The second bit of housekeeping news. Oh, I forgot what it was. Um, what was the second bit of housekeeping news? Oh, you guys got the chair. Um, I'm still in the process of buying one, but for everyone, I didn't really surprise anyone donated even a dime, but you did, and I guess I'll make good use of it, so thanks to everyone who did, and I guess I will get a chair. Was it necessary? Didn't need it? Well, I need a new chair, but I didn't need you to get me one, but you did because you're very generous people, and so here we are. All right. Um, that's that. Okay. Let us get to the questions. Oh. This is the other bit of housekeeping news. So just before UFC 214, I had thought that the predictions, or I thought ultimately the pay-per-view would be somewhere between five, four to 500, and uh, maybe five at the high end, seven being like the absolute best case scenario. Looks like it's coming in around 850K. How could that be? Well, number one, the metrics that were we usually rely on to make those kinds of estimates pre-fight were all trending four to 500, maybe six, seven, if it got real lucky. Um, it just turned out they had this last-minute surge. So um, great news for the UFC that that got 850. Some people were thinking it had to be a million, it had to be a million. I never thought it would go to a million. I was surprised when Dana White said it even after the fight, even though I was encountering at that time um, a different set of metrics. It's just, look, sometimes in the build-up to a fight, you look at a Ronda Rousey fight. Go like, for example, go look at a Ronda Rousey fight, the Betch fight. Go look at the stare-down 
weigh-in video. Look how much many views it got. It got millions of views. Usually when you get that, you know you're in that million territory. I mean, this was getting, you know, one-tenth that kind of thing. And so it was it was hard to tell if there was fatigue about it. So my initial estimates were totally off. Um, this is the imprecise nature of using online metrics for uh, for um, pay-per-view purchases. There can be a disconnect. The situation elucidates that. But I didn't want to go another chat without talking about that and acknowledging that. Uh, I do, I deeply undersold it. I think I was kind of just trying to pay attention to the metrics that were there, but nevertheless, there was this absolute late push that put it over the edge. So um, that's real good news for the UFC. It's real good news for MMA. It's real good news for you as a consumer. Obviously, great news for John Jones too. Um, a very very welcome uh, improvement over my initial expectations for sure. And that's why I'm just sort of going to lay off on expectations for Mayweather McGregor. I really don't know what to expect. If you think it's not going to beat Mayweather Pacquiao, I can understand that. If you think it is going to beat Mayweather Pacquiao, I can understand that as well. In terms of pay-per-view buys, I really don't know what to expect. Before, I thought it would be between Canelo, Mayweather, and Mayweather McGregor. And now, there's then I, then I was on the press tour, I thought for sure it's going to beat it. Now I feel like people are getting a little bit disgusted by it. So it's really hard to say, but there we are. All right. Let's get to some of these questions. If they load on this goddamn page, uh, which they're not. All right, let's. Did MMA fighting go down? Are we still up? We're up. Did MMA fighting go down? Uh-oh. Let's see here. No, it works on my page. All right, I'll have to pull it up on my phone then. For some reason, it won't come up on my browser. That's funny. All right, let's see what we got. I will look on my phone. See, I come prepared, moderately. Um. Okay. Of course, the ads load first. Um, let's see what y'all have here. Jesus Christ, this is taking forever. Is this page not working for you guys? Is the page not loading? The MMA fighting page is down. No wonder. Am I using Safari? No, I am using Chromecast. Dude, I, there's a straight. The web page is down. I cannot get the. Oh, here we go. Come on, load you bastards. All right, loading comments. Let's see. If this doesn't load in time, I'll just get into the poly stuff while the site rectifies itself. Um, this is unusual for sure. So how about this? Let me just, without wasting any more time as the as the page dies, for once, it's not my fault uh, on the tech issues. For once. Let me get into the poly stuff. And I would rather read it off one of your questions, but obviously right now I can't. The best place if you want to get your questions in right now, go ahead and put them on Twitter just in case at l thomas news and then you can use the hashtag chat rappers i will try to get them there i've got my phone up and i've got my laptop up 
none of the questions are coming through. Let's see. It says Chrome works fine. Here, can you send me green questions? Because it's not working for me. Comments will not load. Talking to Danny Segura. He says it works fine. It's not what I see. All right, I can't keep doing this. I got to get to the... One more time. Sorry, y'all. Look, loading comments. Nothing. All right. So while that rectifies itself or doesn't, let's go ahead and get into the Pauli Malignaggi stuff. Um, I'm assuming you guys want to talk about that. I think I did see a question or two about that relatively inside the space that we had before. Um, you know, I might have it on another one. Oh, you know what? I've got some here. Oh, God. Effing loaded. God damn it. All right. I'm just going to get into it now. I'll see what happens with it. Um, the Pauli Malignaggi stuff. Apologies for the technical issues. And by the way, Monster Energy. Let's see how this does. Let's see. What to make of the whole Pauli situation? Man. Um, seemed snake bitten from the beginning in part because of what Paulie had said, right? Prior to all of this sparring arrangements ever coming together, Paulie, of course, was quite negative in the media telling anyone who would listen that Mayweather would tool him, that he was terrible, any number of really quite disparaging comments. Um, you can go and look them up for yourself. So he was invited to spar with Conor McGregor, and Conor McGregor himself admitted, I believe, on the L.A. tour stop, although it could have been Toronto, but I believe it was L.A., that um, Paulie was going to be made to answer for the things he had said. So that's an interesting reason to bring in a sparring partner. You don't typically hear that either in boxing or MMA. Um, he is brought in, and they have a couple of sparring uh, sessions total of 20 rounds, I believe. Uh, now, Paulie is retired and uh, was not like grossly out of shape, but certainly not in fight shape, um, and admitted at times that Connor got the best of him, believes that in the 12-round one that he got the best. We only know what he can tell us at this point because uh, you know we don't have access to... We don't have access to um, what Connor has to say, although that might change today. But... Nevertheless, this just felt like uh, this just felt like a situation that was never going to work. I mean, sometimes experiences like that can make two competitors bond, and maybe in some ways they did, but ultimately it just their divisions were never reconcilable. And I think there's a little bit of blame to go around on both sides. You know, on the one hand, um, number one, if Paulie knew that McGregor was saying. He was going to be made to answer for the things he had said. You would probably want to be skeptical about why you're being brought in, right? That's not a common reason to bring in a sparring partner. I don't know what was said to him by McGregor's people, but that's typically not 
a reason to be brought in so you can shame a sparring partner. That doesn't, uh, or at least teach him a lesson or so, something like that. That's very unusual. And he had to know if that was going to be the case, that it might, this might be a little bit of a different camp. Beyond that, I think all the interviews he did, I mean, on the good news is that Paulie is very willing to speak to the media. In fact, he's supposed to be on my show later. I will try to ask him questions that have not been asked before. Um, and I will bring up some of these criticisms to him because I think he can you know, handle it. But um, it just feels like to me that he should have gone in there with a bit of a watchful eye about how this would go down, put up some better terms. You know, he mentioned, you know, I wanted to be paid the same, I wanted to be treated the same. And I understand, I can appreciate why he said that, but at the same time, you're not like the other sparring partners quite explicitly, right? Um, and so I think being a little more vigilant about how this went down and putting up a few, not, you know, not a lot of roadblocks, but some roadblocks would have been better. I also think talking to the media and trying to say as much as he could without saying enough is not, you know, is not, is not a great way to handle it, right? He could have been a lot quieter about it. And I so if the issue was that McGregor's going to go out there and and release a photo of him being, let's say he was knocked down, not pushed down, um, is that justified? If it's retaliation for Paulie getting out there and basically saying his power is good, not great, or doing a bunch of media and talking about other things as well, then and that itself is not retaliation but that itself is part of the uneasiness that he had with that sparring partner which itself came from the comments which of course was exacerbated by the invitation you can see this was all sort of connected it was never going to go well right it was never ever going to go well and so in that sense um paulie has some culpability there no no, no doubt about it you know um whether his claims about being pushed down or knocked down are right you can leave it up to yourself to decide um Connor's workout, I believe, is today, so I think we're going to hear his side of it, and I wonder if he's just going to unload on Paulie, or not say anything at all, or say just a little bit and kind of ignore it. I, I don't. He has ignored it to this point. Um, certainly, Paulie is out there doing a lot of media now, trying to really make a lot of noise about it, which also I think is you know it's fine to do a couple of interviews, but like doing you know this much, I think will rub some people the wrong way. I'm going to try and steer the interview in. Do you regret going? Um, you know, to what extent can you be now impartial or even reasonably impartial on the broadcast, which I think that part of that ship has sailed, but that doesn't mean he can't be informative, even if you're not impartial. On the other side of things, I think McGregor probably handled this uh, or could have handled this better too, right? If you're bringing in a guy who you want to teach a lesson to, maybe don't tell the world about that. Maybe keep that to you and your camp. Um, and you can say, well, that'd be shady, but I'm not saying you have to do shady things. I can say up front, here's what we expect of you. And, and you're telling him, between you and him, what we're expecting of you. We expect when you go up the plane, you're going to go 12 rounds. Sorry, that's just what we're expecting. And so he knows. Um, I'm not saying he concealed those facts in the way that Paulie suggested. I'm just saying if you want to be, if you want to treat a sparring partner a certain way that you may, might have some issues with, um, you can declare those to him in private and you can declare to him the terms of the deal in private and then just there's no issue there anymore. You told him exactly what he was up against. Uh, maybe there, maybe there could have been a little bit more transparency, even if he wasn't necessarily being, you know, uh, wasn't trying to not be forthcoming about it. It could have been a little more transparent. Here's the thing I don't understand. Two things. Number one, I feel like McGregor criticism generally is really bad, right? Most people who criticize McGregor go one of two ways. 
on the one hand, they go, he's uh, he's uh, he's terrible for the game. He sets a bad example. You know, uh, he's he's cocky. He's arrogant. I can't stand him. He's terrible. He's a fraud. You know, they go to this extreme where they say totally unjustifiable things, right? And on the other hand, you have people who either won't criticize him at all, which is fine, he has fans, but who give him the most tepid kind of criticism, who won't really lay into him. I don't see a lot of people, um, I don't see a lot of people who are prone to liking him, which is nothing wrong with that. People are going to like other fighters more than some. Some might be Irish, some might not be Irish. I'm just pointing out, even if you like him, you have to recognize he didn't handle this all that great either. I don't understand why you would have as a distraction in your camp something like this. You're about to, even if you were the best boxer in the world, taking on Floyd Mayweather is not a joke. And you could say, well, maybe all this is to hype and sell tickets, maybe. But if that's if if what you're doing is with Paulie, some sort of theater, kabuki theater here, to sell tickets, you're selling yourself short in the training room. Right? You can only handle so many tasks at once. And my point is this. Why would you bring in a guy and state explicitly you were there to teach him a lesson um, and sow seeds of discontent? And I already mentioned, Paulie didn't help matters at all with this. He went on his own media tour and made it all about him and did a lot of things that I don't think were necessarily all that productive to a burgeoning potential relationship, number one. But but if you're Connor, why would you invite this kind of distraction into your um, camp? You need to get the best rounds you can against the best partners you can and the most help you can. The learning curve is up against you, not Floyd. Floyd might have some issues on fight night early, making adjustments, as he always does, right? Tries to figure things out, get through the worst of it, and then he's just off to the races. That's the way he is with every fight. Um, I had Eric Kelly. I had Eric Kelly on my show, the guy who, uh, the, the really mean boxing trainer who went viral. He made a point. He's like, Floyd is a six-round fighter, not one to six, seven to 12. That's where he's a... A six-round fighter. That's where he takes off on your ass when there's snot bubbling out of your nose and your eyes are watering. He just really is gone at that point. And that's the case with every fighter, whether it's Canelo, whether it's Connor, whether it's anybody. You don't sting and hurt him early. It's a it's a wrap for you. It's a wrap for you. And so knowing that, why would you bring in somebody who uh, could potentially, yes, be beneficial to you, but you've got ulterior motives about it? I just don't think. Do I think it's the worst thing in the world? No. Do I think it's even on, the, on that level necessarily unethical? Even that I don't think. I just don't think it really helps you all that much. You know, I'm sure those 20 rounds he got against Paul, uh, Paulie weren't nothing, but I'm not sure how great they were. And the fact of the matter is, in terms of skill level, Paulie is way ahead of the rest of his sparring partners by a country mile. Now, you want to be ahead of your sparring partners in boxing. They're trying to give you work and tighten things up you do really well. But it's just hard to say that Paulie, if they had been able to stay on amicable terms, however much of it was the fault of him too, um, you know, how, how much different it could be. Would Paulie be the difference between Connor beating and not beating Floyd? Yeah, I'm not saying that necessarily either. I'm just saying if you're a student of the game and you're there to learn and you're there to get as good as you can, you know, Paulie didn't help things at all. That just seems like a weird way to handle it. And to the point people saying, well, Luke, he wasn't there to really learn things. He was there to you know, use this as a distraction to sell tickets. I don't think, number one, going into this, he was going to think he needed to sell tickets. And number two, even if that's the move to sell tickets, that's just another distraction you have to worry about, selling tickets um, that is getting in the way of, of effective and maximal training. So I really don't understand that necessarily. Again, not the end of the world, but... Mm, 
not not optimal, I think is what you could say. And here's the other thing about this that I think some people just sort of need to be a little bit more forceful about. I don't think posting pictures of you sparring with your sparring partners and you even winning with your sparring partners is all that bad. In fact, I went around and I looked at Lomachenko, Ward, um, and a bunch of different uh, boxers on Instagram to see what kind of pictures they were posting in the lead-ups to in their camps in the lead-ups to certain fights. And here's what I found. Lomachenko didn't post anything about a sparring partner. Not not at all, basically. Um, a couple of shots of him sparring, but just him, right? Him wearing the gear. Uh, Ward had a couple where he was landing some decent shots on opponents or uh, sparring partners, but not really much. Again, mostly just him jumping rope, hitting bags, um, him wearing the gear. Connor has a lot of shots of him out there banging on sparring partners. And if those guys agreed to it, then they agreed to it. But here's what I'm just going to say. It's not unusual to have a couple of shots during the entirety of your camp where you're laying into opposition. Uh, and by opposition, I mean sparring partners. The amount he has, however, is a little excessive. It's a little excessive. Is this the end of the world? No, I am not suggesting it's the end of the world. Am I saying it's the most terrible thing I've ever seen in my life? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is there's a little bit more you could do to rein that in, have a more – I'm sure – I, I, Paulie says he doesn't treat his sporting partners well. I, I, I can't make heads or tails of that claim because I think you need to hear what Connor has to say in response first. Um, and I would like to hear what he has to say. But all I'm saying is I think it's a little excessive. It's a little excessive. I think he could rein it in a little bit. And if you've got sparring partners leaving your camp, and I, the Pauly situation is in many ways its own thing, but he's sort of pointing out, why would you put up a photo? And I, I know Connor didn't put it out. was one of his guys put it out. But somebody leaked a photo of him either getting knocked down or pushed down. And either way, that shouldn't get leaked. And that may 100% not be Connor's fault. It could be someone in his camp that leaked it without him knowing. And then he has to deal with the aftermath. That could very well be the case. Again, I would like to hear what he has to say today. I don't think this is the biggest deal in the world, but you either have people criticizing Connor in the most vehement, ridiculous terms where they go way too far, or you have people who don't want to say anything hardly at all. And I'm saying just a little bit, a little bit more towards this end, not the crazy end, but towards this end, it's a little much to put out that many photos of you laying into sparring partners like that. Um, I think it could be tapered back a little bit, and I think it would be a little bit of a nice gesture to treat them that way. I think that's really the only thing I can say. Um, after that, we just need to hear what Connor has to say, and and I guess we can make a a decision from there. All right, let's see if we have figured this out with the comments. Yes, they're back. All right. Here we go. There are no UFC events until September 2nd. Is this going to be a boring month for MMA? I'm not sure if there are any Bellator cards coming up. There's a Bellator card the day before Mayweather-McGregor. Belter, what, 182? Belter, 182? I think that's right. Um, I, know there, I know there's this Conor Floyd fight, but I can't remember the last time the UFC took almost a month off from holding an event. Is it purely because of Conor Floyd fight? What's your take on this? I don't see what else it could be. I mean, maybe it was partly an issue of, hey, we could put stuff in this space, but why worry about it? It's just going to get buried. Um, there's no real need. Let's sort of just train the guns on Floyd and Connor. And I think it's probably all right, you know. Um, plus they didn't maybe they didn't want to put want to make sure it does really well. Why put any other distractions? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Let's not put anything you have to pay for. Let's not put anything you have to give in another Saturday for. Let's give everyone their Saturdays off. 
so that that one Saturday everyone's got you know uh, time to give. It's probably something like that. Um, but yes, there is a Bellator card the day before August twenty fifth. Um, I'm not sure where it is. Jesus, that is it's like sour candy. Um, so enjoy your weekends, go to the beach, read a book, do some sit-ups, uh, walk your dog, sleep in, go to bed early, do anything else. And then you'll have that night to either watch it or not watch it, but at least you can enjoy your summer here in its last leg of it anyway. All right. Now here's Paul in the MMA hour. I will not repeat the things I've said, but if there's a different wrinkle, I will get into it. Um, I was left with two seemingly paradoxical conclusions in relation to how the Maymac fight will go. I feel McGregor will actually fare better than I thought he would, but also now I feel he has an even lower chance of actually winning than I previously thought. I think I had the most common view on the fight, which is that, if it, it, that it's 99% likely that Floyd will utterly school him, not losing one round, and show McGregor to be an amateur, but that if Connor could somehow connect his left hand, he has a chance of a KO. However, after Paulie's quotes about McGregor winning rounds and even getting the best of him in the first session, it appears McGregor's at a higher level than I believed. Not that Paulie is on Mayweather's level, and trust me, he is not. Um, but he's a former world-class fighter, true, a few years off of his prime, true. If McGregor was uh, the complete boxing novice that the likes of Kellerman's says he is, he wouldn't win one round, let alone the whole session against a former champ. Agreed. On the other hand, Paulie has shattered the mythology of that and as a boxing weapon anyway. If McGregor won rounds and landed against Pauly over the two sessions, little protective gear, and I know there's some debate about that, but he does. Go look at what um, go look at what Lomachenko wears on the Instagram page. And didn't knock him down, which I believe to be the case, then he's certainly not going to do it against Mayweather. In conclusion, I feel McGregor will actually win a round or two, but that his ace in the hole, the left hand, is just not good enough to have even a 1% chance of winning this fight. What have you gleaned uh, from the sparring session tales and have they altered your view on the fight? Number one, we need to hear what Connor's side of the story is. If he, in fact, is willing to tell it, which he may not be. I don't know, but um, we'll see. But I think you're actually home in on something. Boxing is... Um, MMA is a lot more chaotic than boxing. And I've mentioned this before. Part of the way in which you win in MMA is your ability to control for chaos. To what extent, if you need the takedown, can you get it? To what extent, if you need the pass, can you get it? To what extent, from a dominant controlling position, can you achieve it? How easy is it for you to find underhooks on the feet? How good is your head movement out of the way? How good are you at maintaining distance? How good are you at sticking someone behind the jab? Right? A lot of success we, we tend to associate with an MMA with offensive firepower. But I would argue that defensive and I take that as offensive, but it can be for a defensive purpose, right? Taking someone away from the striking. Um, and I think, we, for example, George St. Pierre had a lot of success, particularly in the latter chapter of his career, um, with you know his low, his many title defenses, in part because he was ability to, to control for chaos. He had all the variables. He had an answer for all the many variables. And so he was able to be wildly successful as a consequence. Um Boxing is something like that, where you know you have fewer weapons and you have um, less space, and that space is constructed in a different way. Where um, you, your fundamentals, from your footwork to your stance to your balance to your breathing to your cardio 
to how you hold your shoulders to everything has to be really on point. This is this of a guy. Can it really be the case that you cannot fight professional boxing, have a successful career in MMA, go over to boxing and beat arguably the one of the three or four or five best fighters alive? Can you really just cheat the system that way? That seems very unlikely to me. And again, I made this point before. You know, Brendan Shaw made that boy uh, that bet with Max Kellerman. Kellerman's like he won't lay a glove on him. I, you know, someone who claimed to watch MMA—that's a ridiculous statement to make. It's a ridiculous statement to make. But um, as I mentioned before, what does Mayweather have to do? Win seven rounds. That's it. Seven rounds. And the, the notion that he can't do that against McGregor just seems to me very, very, very hard to swallow. Um, I, I, I don't know how you could reasonably argue he can't do that. Now, I, I can, you can argue about the potentialities of other outcomes, but how effective can you argue against that? I, I would love to hear it because all the arguments I hear about that are just based on like the sort of blind faith in McGregor's ability to rise to the occasion. And we know he is good at that, right? When the lights come on, he's at his best. So however how good he is in the gym, he'll probably be even better. I actually do think he'll win rounds against Floyd. Floyd might end up um, deciding his best work is to just be very, very, very cautious early on, really defensive, try to use as much baits and traps against Connor and not really throw back just to see how he'll react and in the process lose rounds. Even that I can see. I'm not going to even see him trying to counter and, and you know, maybe landing a little bit, but Connor just sort of doing more work and getting more done. I, I could easily see this. This is very possible. It's just in the end, when you tally together all the many skills that you have to require to win over 36 minutes, um, and all you have to do is win 21 of them. Can Floyd Mayweather win 21 minutes of 36 against a guy who's never boxed professionally before? Yeah, I think he can, and I think he probably will. Um, it's a lot harder to be a power, power puncher in boxing than it is in MMA. Ryan Hall had a long conversation with him, and he was saying, look, are there guys who have great power in MMA? Of course. Are there guys who have good power in MMA? No doubt about it. There are guys that hit harder than other guys. But in the sport where you have, with those little-ass gloves um, and sort of the chaotic nature of striking generally, Almost anybody can almost knock out just about anyone else, right? Not everyone can knock out everyone else, but pretty close. Now, Connor's got great power, particularly on that left. He's got great accuracy and great timing, especially in MMA uh, purposes. He's very, 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 very good at that. But, you know, you're talking about a guy like Floyd Mayweather who's got incredible timing and incredible reflexes, at least historically. Now, maybe those have fallen off a little bit, but... That's what we've seen originally. And also, did you guys see Floyd putting out that video, looking all tired, like the training's really getting to him? I mean, he's just trolling MMA audiences like it's nothing. Do not believe any of that. What have I told you before? You have to look at all of Mayweather's fights like he is trying to sell you a used car. And he is trying to tell you with that, vi with that video of him being tired that there's a moonroof on this car. He's a conman. He will try and con you out of your money. Just always be aware of that. That is how that is how defensive you need to be with him. Uh, if not, and when this is all over, you're going to be like, "Fuck, man, this guy took me for another ride," you know. Um, so I actually do think Connor might win some rounds. I actually do think Connor might show us again. And what is where is Connor saying his best work is going to come in the first four? I will be paying attention in that first four rounds. I've said this before. If you look at the Metamorphs match between JT Torres and Rory McDonald, what was one of the big takeaways? In the end, Torres made adjustments and clearly won that match, even though I think it went to a 
technically a draw, but he was the guy that did more with it. But early on, what you saw with Rory McDonald is that because of his MMA training, when he was in a bad spot underneath, he was able to dig an underhook and stand. And a lot of jiu-jitsu guys who are unaccustomed to going against MMA guys who have very good ability to stand, as you can well imagine, you would need to in MMA. He was a little bit shocked by that, a little bit put off by that. He made adjustments, and it took him a few minutes to do that, maybe even 10 or so, um, but he did it. Right, so so I am. Look, that's 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 kind of what I'm expecting. I'm expecting Connor to do well enough to maybe save some face. I'm expecting Floyd to do well enough to win and to put some space in between. But this notion of like having this incredible left hand that the world of boxing hadn't seen before, man, those guys come around once, you know, once every 20, 30 years or something like that. Maybe even less than that. Um, you can count in your hand the number of guys who have like shocking abuse power, and in MMA, um, an already hard hitter like Connor with all those other tools he has creates for a very potent result, but I don't know that he's particular. I, I never thought he would be necessarily exceptional as a power puncher in terms of what Mayweather has faced. You know, guys like Miguel Cotto, dude, these guys hit hard, man. They hit really hard. Their mechanic is good. They're good. Their speed is good. All that's good, too. They hit hard. And he put a beating on Mayweather a little bit, too. He won rounds against him, too. Um, Connor might do some good work, man, but can, will he take seven rounds from Floyd? And then there's some debate here about the choice of, you know, sparring gear. Someone says he, I believe they mean Connor, is susceptible to body shots and looks almost lost in the clinch. In the clinch, he has to think about what he can do instead of acting naturally off instinct. I reckon we're going to see a few fouls in this fight. I don't look good. Foul him. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> Same way care about Connor fouling Mayweather because I don't. Let's also not forget Paulie is retired and out of shape. And also as a sparring partner, you don't have to try to win. That's true. He made a whimper and said he became very hittable when tired, like we already know. Seems reasonable. I guess we'll have to see. Connor tried to fool his fanboys. This is him, not me. And used Paulie at, at his expense. Dickheaded. Seems fitting to me. Well, this guy, you know, doesn't like Connor very much. Um, did you guys see what um, Virgil Hunter said about Connor? Now, God damn, man, these boxing guys. I don't know whether to believe everything or believe nothing. You know, because it's like, okay, so here's you guys know who Virgil Hunter is. Virgil Hunter might be one of the best boxing minds alive. All right, trains Andre Ward, but has trained any number of different champions. Is an absolute scientist when it comes to boxing. Boxing. I don't know how much he watches MMA, and I don't know how much he's ever seen the McGregor's fights. In fact, I'm inclined to believe he's seen virtually none of them because he remarked about Connor's physique when Connor took off his mink coat at the Brooklyn press store, uh, press store stop. So you might say off the break, look, Virgil might know what he's talking about in boxing, but I'm going to hedge my, you know, I'm going to take with a grain of salt never seen McGregor fight and and for that I can understand completely I can understand um but what he said was he said Connor this is virtual talking Connor has the the waist I believe he said the waist not a trunk I thought that was kind of interesting and the way he explained it was if you look at um really successful boxers what they have is not a very narrow, thin torso. 
what they have is actually kind of a thick meteor torso which allows them still the mobility they need to move right but um the thickness needed to absorb punishment and he actually thinks that connor has a thin waist enough where there's just not enough natural protection to his body to help him and then you add in what paulie is saying about the whimpering of the body shots now look paulie has better experience with connor than virgil and virgil also said quite to his detriment that he said connor has the fighter's curse where you've got jutting brows and chin uh, particularly the brows that will allow for additional cutting and the chin a little bit easier to find um and there's not a lot of evidence that that is necessarily true. He he uh, did get cut, I believe, in the Mendez fight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but what was that from ground to pound? I mean, that's not exactly the same as you know getting touched up with gloves. But you know, MMA striking is also not necessarily the same as you know just the steady. I mean, the amount of strikes if it goes 12 rounds that you will take in a in a 12 round fight would probably exceed what you took in that Diaz fight, um, or, or you know certainly come close. And those boxing gloves, man, if they just you know, they can they can tear flesh too so you know part of this again is just i don't know how much to believe i mean the guy is so credible in boxing and then i think he just doesn't know a lot about M M uh, mcgregor so take this as a grain of salt but i thought it was kind of interesting to see i don't know whether he's right or he's wrong he may be totally wrong and again he was kind of wrong about this but uh all he said something to pay attention to in the fight if it's bs then let's note that after put it in the back of your head to see whether that comes out because king mo even told me he thinks the way in which mayweather is going to win this is through body work and of course he's trained with the mayweather's uh mayweather's gym and i'd be curious to see you know floyd does do good body work um so we'll see two divisions dismissed by dana Dana White did his usual when faced with the question of whether the UFC would adopt the new divisions by totally and bullishly disregarding the notion. However, we all know he likes to do this before backtracking and changing his opinion. I cannot see why in this new era of money fights and interim title fights, why this wouldn't appeal to them. It would give the UFC more title fights than they usually have, promoting appeal for the main card matchups, so why wouldn't he be on board with it? The 165, 175, and 195 pound divisions weight classes would make for some really interesting fights. Now, they mentioned they also put in 225 there as well. Do you think it is on the agenda, but politically he will not say anything uh, until it has been looked at? The reason why they don't want to do that is not that it wouldn't have a positive effect, for example, on weight cutting, is because one of the arguments that was made about why the UFC was superior, let's say, 10 years ago, and you know, I don't think... MMA and boxing, some things about MMA are better, some things about boxing are better, but one of the arguments that was made at the time by MMA's biggest proponents was that, look, um, you've only got five weight classes. Easy to know who the champion is, and the championship ha has value, right? You know, you can name them from lightweight to heavyweight. You know exactly who they are, and what was it? It was like Penn at the time, and St. Pierre maybe, or uh, Silva, uh, uh, John at a time maybe Brock or Kane at a time. You get the idea. It was easy to go through the line and just name who they were. And then Aldo came along and, and things like that. But um, the more belts you have, the more they become devalued and the more it becomes harder for the public, public to know who's who. And that is, a, that is a major argument that was made that has lost value in recent years in part because of weight cutting and in part, I think, because 
example, or as you can see from the case of Tyron Woodley and the others, benefits are conferred upon you as a consequence, which is why they don't want to lose the belt. So it has grown more popular, and I think um, maybe some of this is inevitable. But Dana White's resistance to me, resistance to me feels a lot more sticky than some other things. Um, I actually think that they won't do that until they're absolutely forced to or there becomes very much in their interest to do so or some, some kind of calculation changes because I know that internally a lot of these, uh, I know there are folks in the UFC who don't want a women's straw weight and flyweight and bantamweight weight class. They, they're against this um, because that, what, what does that mean for how many fights you have to put on cards now? Do you have enough to fill a division? I mean, you, there's some super fights you can see on the horizon, the NJ check versus uh, Shevchenko or something like that. But um I know there's some resistance to it and you, you know adding these other weight classes super welterweight or super lightweight or junior welterweight or whatever you want to call it at 165 um i i guarantee you that there is not a lot of interest in promoting them right now even though that would be one of the one of not the solution but a strong contributing factor in curbing weight cutting issues all right Who can forget the hot summer days and hotter summer nights thick with the promise of unlimited possibilities? I wanted you to know they wrote that and then put a period instead of a question mark. You're asking a question and you put, can you all see that? These dumbasses, these dumbasses didn't even put that up there. Look at that. Fucking morons. Alvarez, three or five rounds, will be on the tough finale of the Detroit pay-per-view tough finale. I'm trying to find that out. I don't know the answer to that. Already uh, has won a five-rounder, the flyweight title fight, and another three-rounder on the Detroit pay-per-view. What? I'm hoping it'll be five rounds. I'm hoping it'll be five rounds, but I don't know what they're going to do with that. Because if they put it, yeah, if, if they put it on the main event of the Ultimate Fighter finale, it would be five rounds. If they put it somewhere on the pay-per-view card in Detroit the next day, it would not. I don't know what they're going to do. We'll have to see. Rashad Evans and veterans turning it around. Rashad Evans looked like a shell of his former self, and to me, there seems to be no future in the sport for him at the moment. The same can be said for BJ Penn. I know the sport is still relatively new, but are there any examples of a fighter looking shot, worn out, past his best, Etc. and somehow managing to turn it around? If so, do you know what the key elements attributing uh, to the turnaround were? Sure. Uh, Andre Orlovsky, I think, would be a very strong example of this. Let me tell you what he was going through. Um, I thought for sure he was going to have problems after his four losses in a row, and uh, some of which came in strike force. So... He, um, he beats Jake O'Brien, and then he's out of the UFC, right? And that was, he was still fine at that point. Then he beats Ben Rothwell in a pretty fun fight. Then he beat Roy Nelson in Elite XC. Of course, there was an issue of you know the stand-up there that may have been an issue. But then he loses to Fedor, no big deal. Then he loses to Brett Rogers, 22 seconds, surprising but not the end of the world. Then he got bludgeoned by Antonio Silva. He lost just pillar to post in that one. 
And then he got absolutely starched um, by Sergei Heratonov in the first round. I was there at East Rutherford, New Jersey. I'll never, I will never, ever forget this. Man, I'll never forget this. I was, I had a terrible seat. Strike Force at the time, I guess they, you know, another promotion, I guess I was warring with. And they gave, they credentialed me, but they gave me like literally, do you remember when those guys all came out with the varsity jackets? Right on the on the walkway and then the ramp, and it was like for the heavyweight Grand Prix, and Overeem was there, and Barnett was there, and whatever. And they had pyro. It was I was so close to the pyro that I could feel it on the back of my neck. That's how far away from the cage I was. It was like the worst seat you could give somebody. I was next to um, I think Stephen Douglas from the Big Lead. Shots to Stephen Douglas. In any case, um, but there was one benefit to it. Arlovsky gets knocked out. And I remember him walking first and then Greg Jackson behind him. And I'll never, man, I will never forget this look on his face. I, and it sort of shaped my impressions, however incorrectly. Uh, I, I'll, I remember him walking past and I remember him having this look on his face of not only can I not believe this has happened again, but I, it was just a look of I don't know what to do anymore. And I've never seen that on a fighter's face. Dejection, sure. Sadness, absolutely. Just saw Daniel Cormier, you know. Um, confusion, anger, any number of those traits and emotions you've seen played out quite quite vividly. But that one about I just don't know what to do anymore, you know. I had never seen that before. Not from a former champion, no less, you know. He just looked, you know, lost would not be the right word. He looked like, uh, for just a moment, that life had, that he was dealing with the fact that life had taken something from him, you know? And I thought for sure, man, this is a guy who was on his way and to lose the way he was. It just looked like they had just found his number and that was going to be the end. And then he put it all together, uh, came back against Ray Lopez. He beat Travis Fulton, Tim Silvio in a weird fight against 1FC. And he wasn't looking amazing in these fights either. Devin Cole, he looked okay against, you know, because it was Devin Cole, you, you thought anyway. Mike uh, Hayes over in uh, Moscow, and he went the, the distance with him. Then he loses to Rumble. And you're like, well, he withstood it, but... He eventually makes his way back to the UFC. He beats Brendan Schaub, not in a great fight. He gets redemption against Bigfoot. Then he beats Travis Brown, and then he beats Frank Mir. And you thought, my God, man, like, how wrong could you be? Now, he's been on a slide since then, losing to Miocic, Overeem, Barnett, Nganu, and Tybora. But um, I thought after that, I will be honest, I thought after that Heratonov loss, like, that's got to be it. You know, it's got to be it. But he, the difference was, I think, getting easier fights, working on his craft, um, finding some ways to help him in certainly dangerous situations, right? Throwing the right hook and then coming back with the back fist like he did against Travis Brown, like little tricks like that. Um, just being a little more patient on the ground, a little more patient on the feet even. I think just Greg Jackson took what he was good at and, and refined it just enough to make it work. But for sure that's happened in the past that I definitely thought he was done. And I don't think I was alone at the time. I think a lot of people were wondering – you know, really what's next for him. Maybe not retirement necessarily, but you know, his time is his time is limited and he definitely proved a lot of people wrong, including me. All right.
fights coming up. Hi, Luke. I have written some fights below. Can you please tell us when you think these fights will happen? What? Oh, uh, Cody TJ. I hope that happens at MSG. Cyborg home, probably not this year. If maybe, maybe. Right, Habib Tony. I would also like it to be in New York. Edgar Holloway. Not sure what they're going to do with that. Edgar being a New York guy too, but they got to put someone on that October card and that Detroit card as well as the end of the year card. Lawler versus Woodley slash Masvidal. I, have, I, I don't really have any idea about these. I, you have to talk to Ariel. He, he probably has a better sense about what's going to go where. John Jones and the Art of Ground and Pound. John Jones finished DC with some scary ground and pound, and recently Jack Hermanson showed and talked about a more refined approach to ground and pound. Could you break down the finer shades of how the best ground and pounders go about their ground and pound? Um, has there been an evolution since Tito and Coleman? Yeah, there's been a lot of it, actually. The, 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 there is... Um, so how, what, is, what is Tito famous for? Tito is famous for getting the takedown and even inside of your guard, keeping the elbows tucked, hands on the biceps, throwing an elbow over the top, an elbow inside, hammer fisting, posturing up, pushing you against the cage, and then just cracking you over and over again, right? That's what he's famous for. And there is actually a lot of that that can still be done, but the difference is now what's common to happen. Number one, they might stand up, and if they can't stand up, they're at least not going to operate from full guard. I think if there's been a big lesson now, yes, you might be able to land an elbow over the top on guard as a guy waits to get his feet in your hips and push you away a la DJ um, Henry Cejudo something like that, right? But what you're really finding now is Turtle. Turtle is where most of the best ground and pound comes on. Why? Because it's hard to keep a guy on his back these days. If they want to get up, they're just going to get up. They're really good ones anyway. Um, again, you might be able to land a couple while you're down there, and certainly we've seen that, but as a sustained way to win a round, you're going to have to deal with a fluctuation of position. So what they're really good at now, and I think Habib is very good at this, and frankly, um, shouts to Habib for being ahead of the game in this and Ben Askren always kind of ahead of the game in this. Now Ben Askren liked to work from mount and back a little bit more, but, um, can do this too. A guy is going to roll. They're going to, they're going to move. They're going to move to turtle. What are you seeing? You're seeing as they roll to turtle. So if someone is here on me, right, my right hip, they're on my right hip. I'm going to reach my right arm around and I'm going to control their right wrist. So now I've got wrist control. I've got a bit of a tight waist. I can kind of bring my hip to you. I can lean into you, right? One of the things about people that uh, turtle that people may not know is you always want to be off balancing them while, while they're in turtle, right? You don't want them to just have their base under them completely where they can begin to scramble. You're leaning your weight in certain ways, right? You're going to cover your hip. You're going to lean one direction and you might be able to use that to pull them off their base. You want to be able to use it to sink a hook, something. So you're threatening position. You're threatening to off-balance them. You're driving their shoulder into the mat, and that's where all that heavy work comes into play. Now, this is a more dynamic, continuous thing where they might stand, and then you go to a tight waist. You run them, trip them, go back down, threaten to choke. They try to roll. You get back to half guard on top. You let them roll again. More shots, more shots. Right. So it's this constant flow of position, but it's a lot more risk control. It's a lot of turtle. It's a lot of... Um, threatening the back from the turtle. It's a lot of, which Hermanson, by the way, he'll take the back either from turtle or, you know, um, or, you know, roll into it from, from Mount. He's a, he's a little bit less turtle, but more straight guard, half guard, side, Mount, back. He's kind of that traditional progress guy. 
uh, in that sense. Although he's, as I mentioned on my Monday morning analyst, strong as an ox, obviously. Um, and uh, I think that's the, the major difference. So it's this more, you have to recognize that position is more fluid, how to control for it as it moves in its more dynamic sense. Risk control is starting to be a big part of it. You saw Aljamain Sterling take the back and use risk control, right? It's a lot of that, right? And you're seeing a lot of guys go to the back more generally. You know, to Demian Maya's big, big revelation is that, well, hey, everyone's like, he went back to his jiu-jitsu. Not even that, really. He just went back to taking you down and finding the back because he just realized that was the best place to get work done with the least amount of harm and given his skill differential, fairly easy to get to. Last fight notwithstanding. Um, but I think that's the difference. It's not anymore guys on his back and you got to worry about arm bars from the guard. There's a little bit of that. It's more that this guy's going to get to a hip and he's going to get to his base. Now you need to control wrist. You can go wrist near, near wrist. You can go cross wrist. You can pull them down to the mat. You can pound them. You can switch hands. You can gift wrap. You know, there's all different kinds of things you can do, but it's going to be in that fluid stand to one knee to both knees to turtle in that space. That's really where the best work is going to be done and knowing how to control for wrists around the waist, how to do not a takedown, but a mat return. All those kinds of things. Those are the guys who are going to excel. That's why Chris Weidman, I think, you know, obviously the size played a big factor, but it was a lot of really, I mean, that the space that that Gastelum fight was fought are the spaces where he does, in my judgment, his best work. Think about how John finished Cormier, right? Where was he? Turtle. I think it was Turtle, was he not? I, think we, I believe he was in Turtle. Someone says, what's going on with those squirrels? How bad is the infestation? Yeah, I had to call out on my show yesterday because I'm leaving the house on Monday and I see uh, insulation in my front yard. Now, not a lot, about as much as this phone, right? And I'm like, where are we getting insulation from in my front yard? So I went and I looked over my roof and I have a window here that you can't quite see. Um, and so the roof goes like this and then there's a window here. And so you can imagine there's a portion where the roof meets like this and it's in those little spaces here that little mother effing squirrels like to chew through and uh, fine. So the good news is that, well, the bad news is that they chewed through and did a bunch of damage. The good news is that when we checked the uh, nest, cause they nicked the nest around, um, September, it was actually empty. So then we boarded it up and uh, I got a crew coming on Saturday to come and raid me of all my finances to fix it. But they assure me it's not actually all that bad. It could be, they see, they said they've seen a lot worse. So yay. Uh, Mark Ratner and the unified rule set. When a smart guy like Mark Ratner is going on a passionate cry for the unified rule set, uh, it is worth listening to. What do you make of the fighting between the different commissions. Obviously, it is best to have a unified rules for fighters, referees, and fans. So how can they work out their differences? Is there some middle ground, or is it just too many big egos involved? Uh, it's too many big egos involved, but this goes back to the same problem as before. Boxing has been around for, what, over 100 years, right? Well over 100 years. They've kind of figured out what the rules should be. MMA has been around longer, uh, in, if, depending on what definition you want to talk about, but basically in the state in which we're talking about it, for what, um, 30 years or so. And a lot less than that, actually, you know, in terms of its more recent developmental stages. Point being is MMA is still changing. We're still figuring out what the best practices are. We're still figuring out technical evolution. 
we're still in the middle of this thing becoming something other than what it is. Boxing or not, you basically got a finished product, good or bad. And we don't have any ability to meaningfully innovate the rule set to properly match the innovation of what you see inside uh, the cage. So we are stuck. We are stuck. It, I, I, I was, you know, beating a drum with this one, but it was great to run towards regulation to save the sport from being shut down by government busybodies. It was very, 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 very bad in terms of having the kind of latitude needed to make rule adjustments uh, necessary to adapt to a young, thriving sport. I don't think anyone made enough consideration for that. That has been a very bad thing uh, insofar as government regulation is concerned because now you have people, as Ratner correctly identifies, trying to innovate, trying to do the right thing, and they can't do it, which makes the product uneven, which makes it very hard for the referees to do their job. It makes it hard for the fighters to do their job. It's a mess. It's a mess. Bohachinha versus Johnny Hendricks. Are they sacrificing poor Johnny here so Paul can get a big win over a former champ? Yeah, I'm not saying that the UFC is showing Hendricks the door. I'm not not saying it. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's a bad one that's a bad one um, if he loses that mm, it'd be good for Bohashinya I mean there's no doubt about that but some were saying this is worse than or no no worse than JDS versus Nganu and I don't believe that um, well in some ways it is in some ways it isn't but JDS, you know, look, I don't know how much he can take a shot anymore because he's taken so many of them. But he has at least adapted his style to fight on the outside quite successfully in many cases. Now, against, you know, the very best the division has to offer, maybe not. But obviously, I, I wasn't sure he was going to win that Rothwell contest and he was able to do it. And he just really stuck behind the jab. He made some evolution. I don't, Johnny, going back to his wrestling, has had at best even more mixed results, you know, so... That's a bad one. I don't know what they're going to do with poor Johnny. Mm. How's the Maymac technique questions going? Good. I got all the good questions I needed from you guys. And I'm in the process of... Uh, I still got some more people to talk to to get it fully filled out. But fingers crossed. Knock on wood. I think you're going to like what I ultimately put together. I hope. Inshallah. Alvarez versus, versus Gaethje. How excited are you for this fight? I would say very. Is it safe to call it guaranteed violence? Yes. Quick breakdown of the fight. Eddie Alvarez needs to wrestle him. Period. Period. He does not need to do anything else but wrestle him and then ground and pound when you've got him. You know, bust him up, make him tired. But first three rounds, if I'm Eddie Alvarez, man, do not exchange with that guy unless you can really keep it a distance, which is going to be hard to do. Cyborg versus Holm. Cyborg called out Holly Holm, and now she has a follow-up. UFC 219 in Vegas. How do you see this matchup? Even though uh, Holly is 1-3 in her last four fights, I see, giving, I see her giving Cyborg a lot of problems. In other words, a great matchup. 
Uh, I don't see her giving Cyborg a whole lot of problems. So it might take longer than you expect because Cyborg is actually a lot more patient than she used to be. But Cyborg's ability to close the distance, she just needs one good takedown. That's it. Um, and I think she would absolutely maul Holly Holm on the floor. You know, she obviously is really good at maintaining distance and keeping that distance, but I don't know that she can really – can Holly Holm really back Cyborg up in terms of, like, applying power striking to her and getting her to respect that such that she doesn't really – she can't really close the distance effectively? I find that a little hard to believe. I find that very, very hard to believe. So – um, not saying I wouldn't want to see it, and not saying that I'm guaranteeing. I I don't know what the future is, but my thought would be, it would be a fun fight to see because it wouldn't. It's always interesting to see Cyborg solve a problem, but I don't have any doubt that she would solve it. Right. Uh, hi, Luke. What do you think of ESPN moving to streaming service? Well, Disney, you mean. With today's technology, how much traffic can be handled for a live sporting event? I mean, if you have the infrastructure, a lot. How about the recent boxing, Pac-Man and Lomachenko ratings for ESPN? Ooh, I did not see the Lomachenko ratings for ESPN. Let's go to TV by the numbers, shall we? Let's see, let's see. Game of Thrones is killing it, right? Chang Co. Ratings ESPN. Oh, UFC Mexico beat it. Wow. Average viewership was 728,000, which is nowhere near many Pacquiao's 3.1 million average for his loss to Jeff Horn in July. Uh, and it's less than the 832 for Lomachenko's April win over Jason Sosa on HBO. Huh. Interesting. And Lomachenko is like the best boxer going right now, and he's a little a bit of a hard sell. I don't, it's, it's tough. Um, do you think ESPN will be a good fit for the UFC? God, it's a tough question to answer. Um, well, they're going to have an over-the-top box service, but they're not going to get rid of their offerings on cable. So there still is that, um, number one. Number two, I thought this was frankly inevitable, given the Disney portfolio with Pixar, ESPN, um, any number of different offerings that they have, both from a catalog that can be streamed at any one time as, as well as live content and programming. I mean, ultimately, let's see what the what they offer as a streaming service, but I finally cut the cord. I don't know if you guys have done it. I was a cable subscriber for DirecTV for the last 10 years. Um, and they're like, oh, we really don't want to lose you. It's like, well, slash your prices to fractions of what they are. So I'll tell you what I'm using. I'm probably going to get rid of YouTube TV, even though I like it. I actually like, so the two things I'm using are Sling and YouTube TV. And let me tell you something. If you're a sports fan, you don't need anything else. That would more than cover what you need. I am telling you right now. In fact, I like YouTube TV's interface much better than Sling's. Sling's is a little bit slower. I find YouTube TV a little bit e a little bit easier to use, and I like that you can put it on your laptop quite easily. I mean, you can do it on Sling too, but 
it's just the user interface is a lot better on YouTube TV. But I was paying, including internet, about three hundred fifty a month. I mean, it was like a goddamn car payment. It was back breaking, and so now I'm back to about a hundred and sixty dollars. So it's like, I mean, I was crying trying to pay that cable bill every month. It was the worst. So now we're down to a much more reasonable level, and I can say that I'm missing nothing. I am missing absolutely nothing. Now I have to pay, of course, uh, for HBO separately and things like that, but I don't mind it at all. Um, if you have not cut the cord, I was one of those guys who was like, I'm not going to cut the cord and give up and give up what it is that I want. I'm not going to go without, for example, ESPN. I'm not going to go without my favorite shows. And I don't have to. And Sling has something called Blue and Orange, two different packages, and you can get them. You can get Sling Blue with extra, Sling Orange with extra, or Sling Blue and Orange also with extras. Um, if I cancel YouTube TV, I'll go Sling Blue and Orange together with extras, which will cost me about fifty bucks a month. But that would get me absolutely everything. I would need nothing else. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like if you have, if you're considering cutting the cord and you have not done it yet, because you're like, well, what if I have to give up on the quality of service? You are giving up on the quality of nothing. Trust me, it's all there. Uh, fantastic. Can't believe I waited this long to do it, and I'm very glad that I did. Um, so, what does this mean for ESPN? I, you know, I, I, the the Ben Thompson of Stratechery has talked about this at length. The cable bundle is an extremely strong bundle. And that's why it's been so perseverant and lasted as long as it has and continues to. And I was one of these guys who thought I would cut the cord a lot. Like I didn't think I would do it as early as I did to the extent I've done it early at all. I thought I would be much later on. But the, the service now, if you can get those things, I'm telling you, I am telling you, I am telling you, it is excellent. It is excellent. Um, cord cutting is here and it is easy to do and it is cheap. And I'm not missing anything. I know I'm not missing anything. Uh, in fact, I'm watching things that I never watched before, partly because of the user interface. Um, they call in me. All right. So, Sling and YouTube TV can't go wrong. And there's other ways to cut the cord too. People use Hulu. But I don't need that. Woodley. Find myself torn on the Woodley scenario post-Maya fight. I've been a fight fan for a long time now, and I appreciate tactical fights. However, when I watched the Woodley-Maya fight, I really did not find that fight met the expectation for me. Don't get me wrong. I think Woodley is very talented, and I also believe a fight can be boring while still showing skill. I have a few questions on this because on the one of the repetitive comments being made post-fight is that if you don't enjoy that fight, and you aren't a fight fan. Number one, first question, if this comment is true, how would you feel about MMA if every fight was like the Woodley Maya fight? Yeah, it wouldn't be a spectator sport that's been successful. But here's the deal. A reader put me uh, hip to this. Um, I think it's in a Conor McGregor documentary, but there's a scene with Conor and Dana post-fight after the Holloway contest where he's Conor, ever the sportsman, is apologizing to Dana for not doing more because he was injured. And um, Dana says to him, don't ever apologize for a win. Now, there's some differences between that fight and the Woodley fight. One was for a championship, one wasn't. One was five rounds, one was three. Um, Connor still did enough, I think, to satisfy most people. And maybe if the Woodley fight had only been three rounds, it would have been okay. I think it was those last two rounds that I think kind of put people off more than the first three. But um, just interesting that he said to him, never apologize for a win. 
Two, do you think that Woodley is overly defensive to his own detriment? You know what? There's a couple ways to look at this. You could say that if Woodley came out and was, you know, like apes before Caesar, waiting for the that, you know, uh, have you ever seen Planet of the Apes where they you know, put their hand up there? If he had come out there and he had said something like, oh, my God, I beg for forgiveness from all of you guys. Um, uh, humbly beseech thee at uh, uh, handout asking for forgiveness, right? That uh, what, would have, what would have happened, right? I think a lot of fans would have probably forgiven him. And a lot of fans would have said, okay, you know what? I get it. And if he had been like, guys, I'm sorry I got injured. You expect more from me, I'll give you more. If he had said the things that fans wanted him to say and had acted in some kind of way that, you know, really put him on a better footing right away rather than being um, not accepting the, the nature of the criticisms, um, yeah, I think it probably would have been a little bit different. But, you know, what? I, I was thinking about this the other day. Tyron is his own man. You know, Tyron is his own guy. Tyron is just going to do things his way and – his way may not be the way that necessarily endears him to the fan base in the most direct and obvious of ways. And you're not, you don't have to like his way and you don't have to agree with his way, but there's something to be said in the respect department for a guy who just does things. Um, with no concern for anything other than meeting his own expectations and defining his place in the world on his terms and being okay with that. Um, so it's not to say that if he had handled things differently, it wouldn't have gone differently. Right? Maybe it would have. But Tyron's is, Tyron, Tyron is a very, as I mentioned on the MBB, Tyron's a proud guy. Tyron's a proud guy, and he deserves to be a proud guy. And I, 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 I think I ultimately respect he's, gonna, he's going to define his, his way through life on his terms. And... Um, that means he has to accept the consequences, but it seems like he's willing to do that to some extent. Now, you might say, well, look, he's pushing back. How willing is he to accept the consequences? Well, I think he's more just pushing back because he's trying to force his vision of himself and what he saw on the world, but um, I don't know. Don't you guys, if you were your own man, would, would you want someone telling you what you need to go do if you didn't feel like you needed to, is to go and tell the crowd how sorry you are? Would you want to do that, or would you want to say, you know what, I did what I had to do, and I don't really feel bad about it. You might be a little more inclined to accept his position if you were in it. Um, but as I said before, if you didn't like the fight, you don't have to. You know, if you didn't like the fight, um, I don't think that I don't think saying that you didn't enjoy the fight means that it was bad. But I also don't think like not every fight can be entertaining. That fight was not very entertaining. That's okay. It's okay. You can say it. it People who think that fight was super entertaining is fine, but not saying it doesn't mean you're not a real fan. There's a lot of these things where it's like, if you don't like X, you're not a real fan. If you make a fan say he likes X or Y and that that determines his fanhood, you're not a fan. And then three, Woodley stated he is a better version of GSP. Do you wonder about if GSP could use his jab to keep Woodley against the cage and win because Woodley can be so hesitant to engage? Maybe. Uh, Luke, can you get to some of the questions further down? Let's see if I can go through some of these. Honor's mind game and Nate Diaz. Why did this not affect Nate? Because not everyone is mentally insecure. Um, Paulie is a narcissist and broke down. Forget to talk about tactics and promotion. 
Paulie couldn't stand to play second fiddle and is so easily hurt and vulnerable like narcissists are. Well, I mean, okay. That when the photo of him got leaked, he had a complete meltdown and tweeted 50 times, went on to do numerous interviews, and ranted for a full hour on the MMA hour. Something to be said for that. Do you think his reaction is rational behavior? Somewhat yes, somewhat no. I say it's classic narcissism, and it's why they didn't want him up there in the camp no more. I think he was just too too demanding and egocentric. Well, I mean, if we're talking about narcissists, aren't most fighters? I mean, if you believe you can beat someone up for, and you're good enough to do it for money, there's there might be a lot of emotions going on. One of them might be narcissism. Certainly Conor McGregor is not very, you know, on fight night, but he is certainly not the most humble guy I've ever seen in my life. So I think it wasn't, you know, is, is Paul a narcissist? Probably to some extent. Um, Connor probably is to some extent too. And then that's why you got, you know, a lot of that. Um, I just, I just don't think the amount of media that Paulie's done has done him a lot of favors, you know, one or two. Okay. But someone says, I just took a peek at the Roddy vlog. And if that's the crack house he was speaking about, I got to say the Vegas crackheads are doing pretty good. Yeah, I'd like to see it too. Again, Connor's got to work out today. I think, right? Today or tomorrow. I expect to hear from him. I would like to... The story is not over. Not by a long shot. Nate using sumo. Oh, I saw this. Your favorite MMA analyst, Skip Bayless, today said Nate Diaz used sumo wrestling to beat Conor McGregor. I don't have a question. I just want to share it. I mean, it's... It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen. You know, these guys just say whatever they want with no regard for truth um, or no real ability. There's a book I'm reading by this guy named Tom Nichols. What exactly? God, I'm only a few chapters in. What is the exact name of this book? You guys have really got to check this out. I mean, I can't recommend it yet because I'm still, um, I'm still sort of in the middle of it. It's called The Death of Expertise. And he sort of lays out a case. Tom Nichols, I think, is uh, teaches at, um, I think at a Naval War College as a professor, and he sort of makes this argument that um, we are living in an age now where, like, there might have been a time in credentialism's great history in the 20th century that we relied upon it too much. Oh, this guy is a, you know, a PhD from MIT and, um, you know, has worked at the various nuclear reactor facility and served on this council of presidents and blah, 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 blah. And so we defer to them too much, um, something that practice known as credentialism. But we have swung the way where armed with a Wikipedia and, um, you know, your own thoughts about what you believe to be quite true and cobbling together cherry-picked evidence that you haven't really properly evaluated. And not just you, but all of us can make this mistake. And in fact, a lot of us, including experts, are doing this. This inability to have a rational discussion and to flaunt expertise to which we don't have any uh, real knowledge of. But the difference is that it's one thing to do that in as a mistake, right? You're trying, you, you, you earnestly believe you have... Uh, expertise over subject, and you might not, but you, you you are you are trying to do the right thing. You are trying to reason through and accurately inform yourself and accurately have a conversation. It is quite another what Skip Bayless is doing. It is not merely the rejection of credentialism; it's quite the opposite. It is the it is the um, projection of credentialism, not so much through this institution puts upon him some sort of honor, but that he promotes or sort of alludes to a record of achievement in being right about analysis while at the same time 
nakedly and consciously promoting things that he knows he has no idea about. Zero. None. No clue. Not the slightest bit of a clue. It is so, to me, it is to me that is like the most insulting thing you can do to an audience, you know? So hostile to them. And look, if the audience loves it, you know, good luck talking them out of it. But, uh, I mean, can you imagine people asking you to, uh, to go on TV day after day after day and to talk about things you don't really know? You might say, well, Luke, I would do it for the money. Okay, maybe you would. You know what? Maybe I would. Maybe we're all like cynical creatures like that. But that's essentially what this is. Hey, man, we're going to do a TV show five days a week. And you and this other guy are going to be asked to talk about topics far beyond your area of expertise. Um, please do that. And to some extent, even this chat forces me to do that. But um, I try my best, and I'm, I'll make mistakes. I try my best to rein that in as best I can. Um, especially the older I get and the more conscious I become of it. It's not, it's not an automatic thing. It's just, it's one thing, again, to err while doing that accidentally, which is going to happen to all of us. It is, it is quite the opposite to do it so nakedly, so vividly, so ham-fistedly. Um, it really is, you're just scornful and dismissive of the people watching you when you do something like that. It really is quite disgusting. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Um, where were you watching UFC 17 Chael Silva 1? It happened around this time seven years ago. Um, I was at the Buffalo Wild Wings in Williamsburg, Virginia. I was visiting my old... I, my wife had never seen uh, William and Miriam, so I took her to the campus. And uh, that night was the fights, and uh, I said, hey, why don't we watch them? So there you go. Um, who's more sensitive, Connor fans or Dallas Cowboy fans? Connor fans are more sensitive, but I feel like they're better people. Dallas Cowboy fans are... I mean... They're mostly vermin. <laughs> uh, whereas Connor fans are sensitive, but you know they come from a good place. Like they're they're good people. You know, Dallas Cowboy fans just basura. Uh, isn't GSP returning to retake his division from a hated current champ? Be a better story than fighting Bisping. Um. Ooh. It might be now. Yes. Uh, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes, but limited. Also on a regional belt, UFC American champion John Jones versus UFC European champion Alexander Gustafson. No, thank you. Will you be attending UFC Norfolk? Plan to go to the event uh, May 2017 ODU grad, by the way. Uh, I'd love to meet you. I am thinking about going, yes. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to go yet, but I'm thinking about it. Give Mike... Latoris winning gold this weekend in the squash world championships. Zero. Paulie Malnagy reminds me of Marin Trant. Okay. Uh, Premier League top six, bottom three. I don't know. I don't watch Premier League that often. I, saw, I, tell, I tell you what I did watch. Shouts to uh, Sean Sheehan talking a gang of... A lot of that before the Super Cup. A lot of this. And you know what you get after the Super Cup? Hala Madrid. Um, I do watch La Liga. I could say about that. I don't really watch Premier League. Uh, I think, did you see what Jose Mourinho said? <laughs> Jose Mourinho saying, um, yeah, there's not really teams like Madrid in the Premier League. 
you know there we don't we don't we we have replicas of uh of uh, of um Croces and Modriches and Casemiro's. We don't have the real thing. Let me pull this up. As a matter of fact, just to get the quote right, because I absolutely enjoyed this. Hold on. This 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 really warmed my the the cockles of my heart. Let me pull this up. Here we are. This is great. Let's see. Let's see. Jesus Christ, some of these Madrid sites I follow, these guys are... Man, I thought I was obsessed. Nope. Uh, let's see, hold on, I gotta get this. Here's Bale talking about rumors about going to United. Here's Mourinho, ready? Old Mo. Uh, Real Madrid's domination came from a superior team with the ability to control midfield and who are able to pass the ball well. We don't have Real Madrid in the EPL, though we do have top teams, but they have different to Madrid. They are solid in the way they move the ball, but we created difficulties for them in the second half. It's hard to play against a team that dominates possession. And of course, Lukaku missed an open goal. He did a get goal and get a good blah, 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 blah. Lukaku looked good in the second half, not so much the first. Uh, so you get the idea. All right. What else? If Woodley is out for a while, do you think the UFC will make an interim title in the latter half of 2017? Uh, <laughs> no. Woodley showed the best weapon for strong ground fighters. Same has been seen wrestlers taking strong punches to the ground. Is there any future anymore for fighters that can do just one great? Not much of one. True or false? Barb Honchak will win the flyweight toughs. Probably true. Kane beats Stipe and Jones beats Gus. Would Jones versus Kane be the fight to make? Yes. Variable. But on average, in what combat sport do you think MMA guys intrinsically have the most success? Uh, Jiu-jitsu? What player would you least likely want to see at Barca? Dembele, Coutinho, Dybala, Di Maria, Hazard, Griezmann, Mbappe. Uh, probably either Dembele or Mbappe. Look, they want, they want 150 million euros for Dembele. Good luck with that. Should Paulie Malinashi commentate the match between Connor and Floyd? I actually still would want to hear what he has to say, provided he's not like terrible about it, and maybe he will be. But if he's not, I still would want to hear what he has to say because he has more knowledge of Connor sparring than just about anybody else that we know of. Right? Uh, it's just up to him about how he wants to call it that night, you know. Um. Uh, Look, any thoughts on fat grips? Which are these things you could put over the bar that make your grip? Like, if, so, as your grip. I mean, think about how tight your fist is, right? Very tight. As your grip gets like this, it gets weaker. Obviously, you want a tight grip. You want a narrow grip. 
And these things called fat grips, which you can put on bars, and you can and it forces your grip open. It makes it harder to grip. Uh, I've not used them. Is the John Jones comeback narrative unethical considering so many deal with injury, disease, and bad luck? Makes me cringe. Story's not over yet. Let's see how it goes. Someone says, it's not the thinness of Connor's torso, it's the length of it. His chest is very short compared to his torso. Um, okay. Dorogan seems to make lots of comments that would be the opposite of what I've seen in typical big companies. For example, he said twice in UFC 214, I don't think it's a good idea to interview someone who has been knocked out. He seems to have sudden rants that don't seem to belong to typical big company code. Is this a new trend within big companies or is UFC different? How do you see and why UFC allows this? Well, Joe Rogan just has a lot of latitude, I think, internally. Does Joe Rogan get more leeway in the UFC than others? Yes, but that's sort of part of the reason why you signed Joe Rogan. You don't sign him to have him buttoned up and do all the same corporate things. You you, you sign him to let him meander a little bit. Um, obviously, they should, but do you think McGregor's camp will invite Lomachenko as a sparring partner? Probably not, but it would be amazing for him. I mean, anybody can learn from Lomachenko, man. Literally, even Mayweather. Does it surprise you that Jones was so honest about not feeling ready to fight Stipe yet? Not really. Given all that time off, he probably felt good about what happened to Daniel, but probably saw a couple things in the Daniel fight that didn't go exactly how he wanted it to and, and realizes he would like to get some work in. I think it actually is smart that he felt that way, right? John, John, John may be many things. Dumb is not one of them. It's the fighting. And um, I think that's probably really smart recognition on his part. I think John's chin will hold up against Stipe. The problem is I think it would hold up well, but it might be one of those fights where after that it turns if he takes some big shots from Stipe. You want to keep it strong by not having to use it or use it very little. I think John has a very underrated chin, but not sure. I agree. Let's keep it that way, right? How popular is UFC in China? That's a question for someone else. How in the hell didn't John Jones do well in football yet rocks in MMA? Would his MMA IQ translate in football easily? Because everyone has different kinds of athleticism. I don't know from a lower body standpoint, like, you know, what kind of force production he can really generate on the line. Is he as fast as he needs to be to be an NFL wide receiver? I don't think he's got kind of the thickness you need for to be a tight end, but it doesn't mean he can't do well in other kinds of sports. It's like asking, I can't believe Usain Bolt wasn't good in football. Well, Usain Bolt can run his ass off. But when I say football, I mean American football. I don't know that he can run routes and read defenses like a wide receiver can. Would Bruce Lee at the peak of his powers have a better chance than McGregor in the ring against Mayweather? Uh... What should UFC include in fighters' contracts in order to avoid boring fights like Woodley versus Maya? Nothing. But they should empower the referee to penalize inactivity. Yellow card, red card, like they did in Pride, like they do in soccer. I fundamentally believe that would make a difference. And if not, it's at least worth trying. Are you okay with another home title fight? Yeah, sure. I don't really care. 
What did you make of Jones's comments about not wanting to fight in MSG? I found it odd. I did not see that. Did not comment on it because I did not see it. True false. If DC wants Jones for a third time, he'll need to get to the heavyweight strap before Jones comes for it. True. What's sadder? Skip Bayless is paid three times as much as Odell Beckham or Cutler making 10 mil for nothing. Effing Cutler gets up there and it's like, yeah, I'm not even all that good shape, but you don't really need to be to be a quarterback. <laughs> I mean, all out of Fs to give. All out of Fs to give. Let's do one more here. True, false. People who enjoy Snoopcast are all mouth breathers. False. Luke Thomas walks into the ocean after McGregor versus Malinaji at MSG inevitably gets announced. True. The I don't like you, Luke, are the, is the new who the fuck jokes. True. MMA fans and journalists are doing themselves a disservice by spouting nonsense like you can't tell a fighter to retire if they are seriously concerned about CTE and fighters' health and safety. True. Stipe Miocic is a uniquely bad stylistic matchup for John Jones. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. A uniquely bad stylistic matchup. False. But it's definitely not a favorable one. I don't know if it's uniquely bad. All right. I appreciate everybody watching. We have to get out of here. Thank you so much. Um, there is an MMA beat tomorrow, so I'll be there for that. Let me see. What else is going to happen? I'm not sure. Oh, uh, Ariel is in Las Vegas with the whole crew for today's workout as well as tomorrow's Mayweather's workout. So stay tuned to MMA Fighting and subscribe right now to see that. Uh, that'll be out later. Um, sorry for the issues up front i appreciate you guys watching please like the video again subscribe to mma fighting and stay tuned for mcgregor workout coverage as well as mayweather workout coverage right here on mma fighting and until then ladies and gentlemen stay frosty